was just reminded this week. Uh, read an article, I, I'd read it a while back, but read an article in a magazine called uh, The New Republic that just sort of talked about and cited um, a bunch of different medical studies and the connection between worship and its effects on our bodies. And I thought I was kind of intrigued by this. I was fascinated by it. This is their, their conclusion paragraph. Let me start out with this. It says, men and women who worship regularly have an above average longevity of life, fewer strokes, less heart disease, less clinical depression, better immune system function, lower blood pressure, fewer anxiety attacks, and they're much less likely to commit suicide than the population at large. These findings come from a whole bunch of um, medical journals, secular medical journals and schools of public health. There's a couple in particular that I'll just point out. One was, uh, one of the reports was from Duke University Medical Center, and they calculated, according to the research, that the lack of involvement in regular worship has an effect on your lifespan that's the equivalent to 40 years of smoking one pack of cigarettes a day. Isn't that crazy? So they're, they're, what they're saying is they're saying, man, if, if for those that don't regularly worship, it, it has the same effect on your, the, your lifespan as uh, being a, a, a one pack a day smoker for 40 years. Another one, this comes from the University of Texas found that those who regularly attend worship services lived on average seven years longer than those that didn't. So I have to say, you being here today may be the best thing you could do for your health this week. <laughs> but worship is that important. Uh, it, it's a significant deal. When I read articles like that, uh, I'm just reminded uh, and, and kind of chuckle to myself because I think, well, this is exactly what God's been saying for thousands of years, right? That you and I are created to be worshipers. We're created to worship and to know him. This has been something that's not new. Again, it's, it shows up in the Bible. It's, it's something that the, uh, the, the early church experienced and realized. It's Christ followers have been celebrating and, and, and talking about this for thousands of years. Listen to a few of these quotes. This one's from the Westminster Catechism hundreds of years ago. It says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's the chief end. It's the purpose of why we're created. Augustine in the fourth century said this. He said, you've made us for yourself and our hearts will be continually restless until they find rest in you. Throughout church history, it's been universally understood and taught that we're created for one purpose. Our identity as individual believers and our identity as the church of Jesus Christ has always been one of being worshipers. We're created to bring God glory. We're created for his pleasure. In short, we are created to worship. Erwin Lutzer is a pastor and author, says this, if we haven't learned to be worshipers, it doesn't really matter how well we do anything else. If, if we don't really get uh, that our lives are not just about me, if we don't really understand that we are created for a purpose that's bigger than ourselves, that purpose is to worship and to glorify uh, God, then we will miss out on that which we are born for. We'll miss out on so much because we are created for his pleasure. And throughout the pages of God's book, God talks about this again and again and again, all the way back to the, the Ten Commandments. The first four of the Ten Commandments have to do with worship, right? It has to do with, with our relationship with God and the fact that we are made to worship. Worship God and not idols. Worship Him and Him alone. That kind of a thing. At the end of uh, the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 6, he tells us why. I think this is great. He says, uh, I'm giving these commands to you today so that you and your children and their children after them may fear the Lord, may fear or respect or honor or follow the Lord your God as long as you live. 
He says, so that it may go well for you and you may enjoy long life in the land that I'm giving you. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm, I'm giving you these commandments. Again, the first four of which are about worshiping me so that you may enjoy long life. It's almost like he knew what those medical school journals were going to say, right? It's almost like he knows the truth that's underneath that, is that we are created to worship. Listen to some of, we could pull out hundreds of verses. I pulled out just a few, but listen to these and just let them paint a picture for you uh, of this truth. Colossians 1.16 says it this way, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, um, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. Listen, all things have been created through him and, what's that say? And for him. We're created for him. John 4, 23, this is Jesus talking. It says this. He says, yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. I think that's an interesting one. Uh, the, the picture that came to mind for me is, did you ever think about that before? That, the, that God is seeking worshipers, right? He's got a little, uh, you know, ad out on ZipRecruiter, worshipers wanted or something, right? He's looking, he's actively looking for worshipers. He's looking for worshipers. And I wonder if he would find that in you and in me. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, but you, he's saying, you God's people, you church, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, uh, God's special possession, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. I love that. So he's saying that you, he is, he has called you. You are chosen for this purpose that you may declare his praises. He says, I'm seeking, uh, seeking worshipers, those that would worship me in spirit and in truth. He says, you are created by me, God says, and for me, for my good pleasure, for my glory. You're to worship the Lord your God and serve him only over and over and over throughout the pages of God's book. We are told that we are created to worship, and yet... There's a disturbing number of places in God's book that also makes it real clear that uh, we can actually come to worship and we can do the religious thing, right? We can make beautiful music. We can sing songs. We can play uh, great instruments. We can pray elaborate prayers. We can raise our hands to God. We can say really nice things about him. We can even go and serve and do all kinds of things, and yet our hearts can be far from him. We can do, we can come to a worship event and yet not worship. You see what I'm saying? It's, which is a little bit disturbing sometimes. It's a little bit disturbing to me. Listen to this. Isaiah 29, 13 is just one of these places, but listen to, to the picture it paints. It says, the Lord says this. These people come near to me with their mouths, with their lips. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is just based on merely human rules that have been taught. God says that you and I, we can come to a worship event. We can go to a worship service. We can go through the motions. You can sing and say and pray all the right kinds of things, but you can do that and still not have it be worship. Our hearts can still be far from God. And I don't know about you, but I think we know this to be true, don't we? 
I mean, I, I can remember I grew up in a church that we would sing all of these amazing hymns. And I could tell even as like probably an eight or nine or 10 year old kid, I could tell that we didn't really mean it. <laughs> like I come from a family. We are incredibly musical. My stepdad had a master's degree in music. And so we sang, we sang harmony. I started taking piano lessons when I was four, right? I mean, like we, we did music in our family. And so we would show up, we would fight all the way to church, right? And the car, we would show up to church and we would sing beautiful harmonies and whatever. We would sing these, these songs like, great is thy faithfulness, right? Or I mean, all these great hymns, how great thou art. Right? And, and, but the, the way we were singing, we didn't even mean it, right? I mean, and you can kind of look around and be like, I don't know if you've ever been in a church experience like this where, I mean, people, there's not even energy, right? They're like, how great thou art. <laughs> They look checking their watches. They're thinking about what are we doing after great Right? I mean, you're they're singing it. You're like, man, it doesn't even seem like you believe it. And God says, you know what? It's possible for you and me. And, and the thing is, I'm not picking on traditional churches, by the way, because it can happen just as easily right here. We can come and we can raise our hands, and yet our hearts can be far from Him. You know what God says, he's, what he's saying in this passage, what he's saying throughout his scriptures. He's like, man, worship is way more than just lip service. Right? I've, I've created you to worship. And that's not just saying, just come and do the religious thing. It's way more than that. And so we're taking a couple of weeks just to kind of pull back the curtains on worship a little bit and, and talk about what, what really is worship? What is, what's the worship that, that's, that we're created for, right? How do, how do we step into and how do we do this thing right? How do, we, how do we experience the life that God has for us more and more and more and not just settle for going through the motions or mouthing the words? Okay, uh, the kind of the phrase that, that uh, we've kind of set up the series around, we're going to do two weeks this week and next week on this. And, and I really think at, at its essence, I think worship is meant to be something that is proclaimed with our lips and lived out in our lives, right? Lips and lives uh, offered back to God, responding to God in ways that are pleasing to him and in ways that line up with, with his plans for us, with who he is. And so this week, we're going to talk about the lips part. We're going to talk about what, is it, what does it mean to come here and worship? What does it mean to worship him uh, kind of even in your own time and in your own lives? And then next week, we're going to talk about how does that, what does that look like lived out in the real world? And so that's where we're going. Uh, today, I'm going to try and uh, be as quick as I can. We've got, I'm going to kind of go through five things that, that I think real worship from the Bible, from the Bible's perspective, five things that real worship always involves. Uh, and then next week, like I said, we're going to kind of move on, but, but we're going to spend time talking about that. And then we're going to have some extended time at the end for us to actually worship God and for us to turn our eyes and our hearts to him and respond to him this morning. So kind of where we're going. Um, hopefully you can kind of buckle up. We're going to move through these pretty quickly this morning, but want to want to look at uh, five things. In real worship, it, we, and we'll just kind of walk through these. The first one is this, is that we experience God. We experience God. Uh, if we don't experience God, like, and, and that can look like a lot of different things, but if we don't do that, then we haven't worshiped, right? If there's not some sort of a connection between us and God, then we missed it. Authentic worship 
always begins with God. It begins with an interaction, an experience with the living God. He reveals himself to us a little bit more clearly. He draws our eyes to him. He brings a passage of scripture to life. He convicts us of some sort of sin or just kind of speaks into it or maybe nudges us to do something. And he, But it starts with God taking action. God saying, you know what? I, I'm speaking to you. I'm drawing you to myself. I listen up. I'm saying something. I'm doing something in your midst. And it's a and it's a it's a recognition that man, that's it's God that's speaking, and our hearts and our, our eyes get drawn to him. But but it always begins with an experience with God. In Genesis 28, I love there's this uh, experience uh, that a guy named Jacob has. He ends up having a dream. And God speaks to him in the midst of it. And God promises to be, with, uh, to be with Jacob. He promises to give Jacob and his descendants the land that he's sleeping on. He promises to watch over him, to bless him, to be faithful to him. And again, his descendants and all that kind of stuff. And listen to this. This is Genesis 28, uh, starting with verse 16. I think this, I was, this picture always comes to me uh, when I think about this kind of topic. It says, when Jacob woke up from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. Surely God was here. Surely God was in my midst, and I was oblivious to it, is what he's saying, right? God was here, and I just didn't recognize him in the midst. The story goes on, and he, uh, Jacob ends up worshiping this God. He surrenders uh, to the Lord. He gives to the Lord, all this kind of stuff. But just let me stop for a second and just ask the question, I wonder if that ever happens to us. Is the Lord ever in our midst, and we miss him? Is he ever speaking to us and we're oblivious? Is he, is he ever nudging us or convicting us or trying to re- show himself to us and we are just unaware? What do you think the implied answer is, by the way? <laughs> Happens all the time, right? I've got a friend uh, named Sean. She was our office administrator at the church we started up in Wisconsin. And, uh, she tells a story about going to Green Bay one day, and she and her mom are at Bed Bath and & Beyond, and they're doing some shopping, and she gets distracted at one point, because uh, there's this woman with a shopping cart, and she's taking armloads of stuff from Bed Bath and & Beyond and just dumping it in her cart, and she's, she's just grabbing stuff and filling up this cart, and Sean is walking around staring at this woman and ends up slamming into this uh, large black man. <laughs> she's embarrassed because she was paying no attention whatsoever. It's like, I'm so sorry. And she kind of moves on and uh, whatever, and she said... You know, it was so weird because throughout that day, I've shared this story before. You guys know where I'm going, right? Some of you do. Uh, but uh, but she, she, as she went throughout the day, she kept hearing people talk about her favorite Packer player. In fact, uh, she re- often would refer to him as my Donald, but it was Donald Driver, uh, Green Bay Packers wide receiver, right, kind of thing. And she, and I mean, they just, throughout the day, she just kept hearing people talking about that name. And she turned to her mom and said, what is the deal? Why is everybody talking about Donald Driver? And her mom says, you seriously don't know? You slammed into him earlier. <laughs> to which Sean could have replied, surely Donald was in my midst and I was unaware. But right, like, I, I wonder how often that happens to us. Right, we're not Donald Driver. I mean, that doesn't really happen to me that often. But I wonder how often that happens to me with God and to you with God, where God is in the midst of, of whatever it is that you're experiencing. And he's practically screaming, trying to get your attention, or he's showering out blessings on you. He's trying to get you to look up and be aware of, of his presence and who he is and his goodness and his love on you. And we are simply unaware. James tells us, Uh, and reminds us 
It says this, come near to God and he'll come near to you. And I just think there's a great reminder where he's saying, you know what? Sometimes all we need to do is look up, right? Come near to God. Let your heart be drawn to him because he's there and he, and he will make his presence known the moment that you do. You know, for some of us, man, I, I'll, I'll tell you what, if we could just learn to kind of actually take action on this stuff and turn our hearts and our eyes and our attention to him moment by moment by moment throughout the day, it would make a huge difference. If on Sunday morning, I mean, I love that we come and we connect and we share and we chat and we fellowship and we hug and we share life. I love that. But, you know, Sunday mornings, maybe it would serve us well to come in 30 seconds early to just quiet our heart for a minute, just to turn our eyes to the Lord and say, God, would you speak? Would you reveal yourself to me today? I need you. That one practice would be revolutionary, be transformational, or even uh, to open up your Bibles or to hit your knees sometime during the week and just take a, take a few seconds before you start just to say, God, I need you. Would you oh, help me not to miss you today? Would you let me know your presence with me? True worship always begins with God. It starts with God. Revelation, right? Uh, uh, kind of a, uh, uh, it's a fancy word for just sort of, uh, and I'm blanking on the word, but anyway, but it's, it's sort of just a, a, a time when our eyes get opened and we get to see God a little bit more for who he is. We get, our ears get opened and we get to hear promptings of his spirit or he brings his word to life or he nudges us in one direction. God is present. He's speaking Let's make sure we're not just unaware. Worship begins uh, with an encounter with God, with the living God. Second thing, uh, it's an expression of love. I just always think this is fun revelation. This is a kind of a fun tidbit. This is a kind of a snapshot of what's happening in heaven. Uh, revelation is all about sort of the end times and what, what it's going to be like and that kind of stuff. But Revelation 11 says this, And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces, and they worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken... Your great power and have begun to reign. Uh, all that is just to say the, the the phrase there that they use for worship God actually gets used 60 times in the New Testament. The Greek word is proskuneo, right, kind of thing, which you, I'm sure you're going to pack away and be like, dude, I, that was really meaningful. Thank you for that. But, but the thing that's interesting is that Greek word, you know what it literally means? It means to kiss. It means to express love to somebody. It's the word that gets translated 60 times in the New Testament for worship. Worship, from God's perspective, is an opportunity to express love back to him. It's a way to come back and say, God, I love you. Sort of like a husband and a wife or friends or whatever. Think European, like kissy on both cheeks kind of thing. But like it's expressing care and love and whatever for the God that we worship. Isn't that a cool picture? I love that. Worship starts, it begins with an experience with God, and then it's about a response to him. And one of the responses is that we respond with love, like bringing a kiss. Uh, I better keep going. Third thing, uh, in real worship, we, we celebrate, we remember the saving work of Christ on the cross. It's what we just did in communion, right? Christian worship, in fact, uh, I'll go even broader and say the central event in human history by far, is the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, right? It's, it's, it's certainly the, uh, the focal point of the Christian faith. Without the cross, we're nothing. There's not hope. Without the cross, there's 
whatever. We're stuck in our sins and all that kind of stuff. Certainly when it comes to worship, we real Christian worship, we're reminded, we remember that we are able to come back into relationship with God. We are able to, to, to approach his throne. We're able to come into his presence only because of Jesus. Right? It's only because of what he's done. Romans 12 uh, puts it this way. We're going to look at two, two different parts of this. But the first one is this. It says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. True and proper worship says begins, right, in view of God's mercy, which what do you think he's talking about? God's mercy. What's he talking about? He's talking about the cross, right? He's talking about the cross and resurrection. He says, we can come, we can come before God because of Jesus, because of his mercy, because of what he's done for us. Therefore, we can approach his throne with grace, right? We can, we can step right up before him. We can walk into his presence. We can pray and we're heard. We can seek and we'll find because of the cross. If we come with our, our self-righteous, man, I'm good enough. God is lucky to have me in his presence today. That is not worship, right? Jesus has all kinds of things to say about that. But it's the humble, those that come that recognize, that recognize, man, we are we're coming and we are completely in need and dependent on the cross and on his grace and the forgiveness that was offered to us there because of Christ we're made new. It's because of Christ we are alive. It's because of Christ that we can come to the Father, that we can know his presence, we can be led and empowered by his spirit. It's because of the cross. If we come, we are people of that event, right? If we come on Sunday morning and, and, and we aren't reminded, we don't remember that it's through Christ that we come, then we have not worshiped. Fourth thing, uh, keep going here. Surrender. Like I said, worship at its essence is an encounter with God, and it's a response to God. It's responding to God in ways that are pleasing and honoring uh, to him. And one of maybe the primary response to an encounter with God is humility and surrender. Just saying, I'm yours. You're God, and I am not. You're the Savior, and I am not. So would you lead me and guide me? I am yours. The second half of Romans 12 that we just read says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, to offer yourselves as living sacrifices. This is holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper act of worship. This is true worship, it's saying, as we come and we lay down our lives. We said, you have given your life for us. Now we lay ourselves back down before you and say, would you come and lead us and guide us? Would you come and be our God and we'll follow with your help? Worship always leads to, to surrender. And that makes sense, right? It always leads to, to, uh, to the good stuff as we recognize that, man, he has our best interest in mind. He's died for us. He loves us. He, right? he wants us. It makes sense. that it would, The next step would be like, God, thank you so much for what you've done for me. How can I respond? I'm, I'm in. I'm yours. And that leads us to the fifth one, which in true worship, we are transformed. 2 Corinthians uh, 3.18 puts it this way. It says, and it's a little bit of quirky language. Stick with me. It says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate or behold the Lord's glory were being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is his spirit. Now again, 
kind of wonky language, but it's talking about, it's using imagery of a veil, right? A veil which would kind of separate or hide uh, uh, some of God's goodness from our eyes. And they're saying, no, no, because of Christ, right? We have unveiled faces. There's nothing that stands between us and him. And we can behold, we can see, we can experience his glory and his goodness and his presence. And as a result, it says, we are being transformed into his image. It's what happens when we worship, when we come face to face with him. You can read it over and over and over and over in the pages of scripture. When we come into his presence and we see who he is, we are changed. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Right? As God speaks, as he directs, as he leads, as he reveals himself to us, we see more of who we are meant to be. We, we experience more of his goodness and his direction and his purposes for our lives. And our lives suddenly become right side up. It's where the good stuff happens. When we worship, when we see and know God with unveiled faces, we're transformed more and more into his image. Our lives are changed. Many of us have experienced this, right? We're, I mean, where we've seen and experienced him more and more. We've come to know Christ. We've opened up our hearts and our lives to him. And suddenly our lives start to change for the better. I can remember when I first came to Christ, my parents, other people around me started noticing and saying, man, there's something different about you, something good. I'm seeing a love in you I haven't seen. I'm seeing something different. Your life is changing. Why is that? And I was like, it's Jesus. Right? Because he comes in and he brings transformation. He brings the good stuff. He brings us to life. In real worship, we are changed. So, so here's a thought. Maybe we should come expecting it. Maybe we should come ready for it. Maybe we should come with hearts that are hungering even. God, would you speak and lead and direct and change and I'll follow. Would you bring me to life? Would you, would you open my eyes to see you? And would you teach me and help me to respond in ways that bring you glory? May, may I respond in ways that proclaim and offer my love back to you? May I, may I respond in ways that lift you up and reflect your glory to the world around me? May I respond with surrender and just saying, you're my king. You're, my, you're the leader of my life and you're my God and I want to follow you. And let's watch as he transforms our lives more and more and more into his image. Well, I want to stop uh, talking about it a little bit now. And uh, we're just going to have a, a, a time of worship. So I'll invite the, the team to come on up. I'm going to pray for us. And we're just going to invite you and encourage you uh, to use this time to, to both fix your eyes and your souls on the Lord. Uh, to, to proclaim your love to him. Uh, and just respond to him in ways that are that are pleasing to him. Why don't you stand, and we will. Uh, I'll pray for us, and then we'll. The team will jump in here. Let's pray, Father. We we thank you um, for opportunities to worship, Lord. I thank you for um, even just times of worship, like communion, where we're just reminded of the work of Christ on our behalf. Thank you for moments where we can sing and come together corporately. And just uh, ways that you just sort of lift our eyes and open our eyes to see you and know you more. And Lord, even in this moment, in this space, Lord, we just want to look to you. We want to, would you lift our eyes? Would you help us to see you and experience you and know you uh, in this place, in this moment? I pray that our worship... 
just bring a smile to your face would, would be done in love. Pray uh, that you would speak and minister in ways that only you can. Would you just have your way here in our midst? May your kingdom come.